0: you seemed a little uncertain there i know i feel like i said because like i said it and then i sounded weird and then i was like should i re-say this but then i was like i don't know people probably know what i'm saying okay well i can just say it again no let's just go with it Okay. hi welcome to Sister untold we are your sisters and hosts sabrina and marva And on this podcast, we look at history through the eyes of Sisterhood. Cool. Well, Sabrina, how are you? It's what
1: do you want me to say? Anything? (laughs) I said, "Mm mm-hmm. I know, but you could make some like small talk conversation seem alive.
0: I'm sleeping. (laughs) I'm not a performer like you. I don't know how to just turn off my feelings. <laughs> oh my Like, God. if I'm tired, guess what? I'm tired.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, let me think.
0: Hi. It's Marva's birthday. Woo! But by the time you guys hear this, it'll be like two weeks to go. But I realized, like, I haven't seen you in a full year now. It's so crazy. You weren't there in California when I went. When you went, re- You went like two days after me. It seems mm. kind of deliberate. I was offended, <laughs> but moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a year. Wow, that is crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, because last time was when um, when you were here for my birthday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, anyways, we have a really long um, episode. Hopefully, not really long. We'll see we'll see so we should just get right into it
0: let's go instead
1: of making awkward small talk as if we've never met each other before (laughs) you're the one who told me to make small talk (laughs) oh my gosh i guess the year of not seeing each other has made us strangers
0: our relationship is deteriorating (laughs)
1: okay so this is the part four of my medieval queens series and it's the part that i've been waiting for it's the part that is the reason why i did medieval queens in the first place and it's actually probably my last medieval queens because i realized that technically after this it will be 1500 which is after medieval middle ages so
0: yeah it can't last forever yep
1: Um, I'll probably still continue to talk about queens because I like them, but (laughs) this is officially the end and where Mm -hmm. I started my journey. So, but before we get started, um, I highly recommend, oh, I also just got my eyebrows done. Um, Oh, nice. Feeling good. Feeling good. So I highly recommend, Sabrina, why are you just making a song out of everything now?
0: That's a real song. (laughs) It goes, feeling good, like I should.
1: Da, 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 da. like that it sounds very similar to happy
0: girl <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's real song okay and i'm glad you got your eyebrows done thank Have you it's my years. first time since lockdown wow a new woman i know
1: before we get started at one i highly recommend that you if you are just joining us now that you listen to our previous medieval queens episodes because That's the whole point of doing it in a series is so that you build one thing on top of another. And then like we all reach the climax at the same time. And it's like a great, beautiful experience. Mm. Um, But if you don't want to, for whatever reason, then it's fine. I will try and like, you know, if I make references to things, try and shortly explain them. But maybe not always. Okay. But so first, we're going to start off with an intro intro to the history of marriage so we're talking about marriage in england slash europe mostly um and what kind of it meant for the ladies that we are talking about ecclesiastical history king athelbert of kent was the first of the english kings to enter into the kingdom of heaven when he died in 616 those are not my words those are his words With his conversion to Christianity, this led to changes in the culture and the laws. It wasn't until the 12th century, though, that the church, i.e. the Roman Catholic slash Pope, had any consistent theory as to what constituted marriage. Previously, marriage had been seen as more of a civil contract than a religious sacrament. It had recently been decided that the most important aspect of a marriage was that both people consented to the marriage. What we mean by consent, we will get back to. But this was. Yeah, like 12 year olds
0: were getting married. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they were really consenting.
1: Um, but this was the only thing that was mandated to make a marriage be valid. No more and no less. This left the question of sex. The traditional idea was that marriage had to be consummated in order to be valid, but it was now deemed that it was not necessary. In the 1200s? In the 12th century, so the 1100s. This might seem confusing based off everything you think you know about old-fashioned marriage. (laughs) Yeah. But it was basically decided that all you needed at the time to be officially married was an exchange of vows between two consenting heterosexual adults to be legally bound in a sacramental marriage. But Sabrina, you ask, who counts as an adult? What is consent? Mm -hmm. And what do I mean by legally binding? Don't worry, Sabrina. We'll cover all of those things. Thank you. So first, we will look at the word adults as we've talked about and as you mentioned before the legal age for a girl to have her marriage consummated was 12 years old but she consummated oh my gosh yes i thought that's just, just to get married no. oh my gosh but she could be legally married by saying the vows at age 7 this was considered the age of reason when a girl could consent mm. this was often i have no
0: idea <laughs> at 7 years old i didn't Even though anything. I couldn't even make like ramen by myself. Yeah. And I would not
1: let a a seven-year-old like use the stove. Um, Yeah. But also, so originally I was going to try and do like something about like a like history of like child brides. But I just found it like too depressing. So then I just decided to go with like overall marriage. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anyways, seven years old is the age of reason when a girl can consent. A lot of times, wow. this was considered a betrothal, but oftentimes, depending on the word said, it was legally binding. For boys, the age to be, like, physically married was 14. So,
0: why? Is if... that the... Wait, what do you mean physically married?
1: Like, say the vows? No, to be,
0: like, consummated. consummated, consummate. yeah. How old did they have to be to say the vows? They
1: also had to be seven.
0: Oh, okay. So, you could technically have two seven-year-olds who are married, like on their taxes they write like married filing jointly and they're seven <laughs> okay
1: yeah we will get to it so
0: the idea of consent on both parties ideally
1: should have curbed this but in the book i was reading at least the examples that they used a woman named Maud was abducted and her complaints were not accepted as uh and so the marriage was declared valid wow Duress was so hard to prove that, for example, a young girl who is threatened to be grabbed by the ears and thrown into a pool if she did not consent was found to not be enough proof because there were enough people around that if she was thrown into the pool, she likely could have been arrested. Oh, my
0: God. So that,
1: that did not count as duress either. Wow. So there are a lot more things that I could go into on this topic. And since... For the sake of time, I won't, Um, and maybe I'll try and do some like Instagram posts to talk about on the blog more, but I will talk about one more thing, because it relates very directly to one of the women we're going to talk about today, and it's the legally binding issue. So, marriage, as we said, can be as simple as a vow said between two people. Ideally, this should be said in a church, but it was not necessary. There were cases amongst the peasants where one person would shout across the pub, do you want to be my wife? And the woman replied, if you want me to be your wife, I will. And this counted as them being married. Oh, wow. Yeah. These types of marriages were called clandestine marriages.
0: It's not very clandestine if you do it in the middle of a pub. Just like... You want to get married? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess... (laughs) Um... I don't know. It could be romantic. It's like we were just so taken by the moment. Um so the main problem with this though was that it led to a lot of confusion as to who was actually married and also led to a lot of bigamy because sometimes there were no witnesses or the couple did not necessarily understand the vows they were taking. And the example from the book was the phrase I wish to have you. Like what does that mean? Does that mean a promise of future intent? or a declaration of present actions. Mm -mm. So, examples also exist of couples using the ambiguity to their advantage when they wish to end a relationship. They could also be used to discredit future marriages. An example, Alfred, Sabrina, we're gonna use, use an example, Alfred, who you had a fling with in the summer of 1315, Pops back up five years later and says, actually, you two were clandestinely married back in the day because you were in the pub. And he was like, be my wife. Uh-huh. And you're like, god, oh, yeah. I'd love to be your wife.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember that summer. Then, oh, what a summer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but you didn't think that you were married. So you went on and married somebody else. But he comes up now and says that you are not really married to your husband because you were married to him first. And now all of your children are illegitimate.
0: Oh, my gosh. Alfred it out nobody wants to hear me and my 12 children and yes
1: and so for royalty as we'll kind of get into especially the with the idea of primogeniture that we talked about a few episodes ago about you know illegitimate children not being in line for the throne and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff this kind of thing could spell disaster
0: indeed okay i feel like this is some foreshadowing
1: foreshadowing okay So, um, our first person that we're going to talk about today is Elizabeth Woodville, and as we already talked in depth about Elizabeth's mother, Jaquetta Woodville, in our last Medieval Queens episode, I won't go into so much depth about Elizabeth's family, but, so, just a refresher, her mother, Jaquetta Woodville, was Lady Rivers, or Duchess of Bedford, and her father, Richard Woodville, was Baron Rivers. Elizabeth was the oldest of the couple's 14 children. She was probably born at her parents' house called Grafton in Northamptonshire in 1437 or early 1438. Although often when talking about medieval queens, we haven't had exact dates or details about their childhoods, it's even more so with Elizabeth, because for all intents and purposes at the time of her birth, she was a commoner. Because at this point, her father wasn't even made a baron yet. So they are basically just like, like you and me. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And so yeah, her father then later made a baron due to his loyalty to the Lancastrian side of the War of the Roses, which was the Margaret of Anjou and Henry the Sixth side. And his wife was close friends with Margaret, so she kind of had influence and able to, was able to get her husband um, elevated to. The like nobility, but even with this elevation in rank, the family was not rich and they led a quiet country life. And at least for the children, the parents, as we know, were like very involved in a lot of yeah. things. <laughs> as a girl, she would have learned how to ride a horse, hunt, dancing, needlework, and possibly singing, and probably to read. Many girls, even noble ones, would not have been so well so well educated, but her mother was known for being a major lover of literature. At a young age, her parents arranged her marriage to another local family, the Greys, and she was probably sent to live with them before the wedding to get to know her new family. Um, this marriage, although very important to Elizabeth, was not of any notable importance to society and so the exact date of when their marriage took place is not known. Elizabeth and John Gray had their first son in either 1451 or 1455 so they we know that at least they would have been married before then. I think that 1451 is quite early though and maybe unlikely because she would have been 13 and although that is the legal age to be married as we talked about oftentimes marriages weren't consummated at that age
0: wait but she had her first child
1: in 1451 or 1455 we're not really sure when Mm. so i feel like it's probably more likely especially knowing like her not that i actually know her (laughs) mother but like reading about her mother like they seemed very like a close kind of family and her mom wasn't married until she was like 17. So I feel like maybe she would have not wanted her, you know, 13 year old daughter to be married and pregnant and that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: But that's just my own. Also, I think personal. I've mentioned this to you before, but that like the average age to get your period was not in, like until like 17 years old for most of history until we had like modern nutrition. Because mm-hmm. you, you know, like if you're like malnourished and like if you're just eating like bread because you're like a medieval not rich person you probably wouldn't have your period at 13
1: but yeah i think that for most of the people we've been talking about though they have been like of either royalty or like nobility Mm -hmm. so they would have maybe had different diets Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but yeah, I don't knows? know. I, I mean, thought she
0: was a simple d- country girl. So I do not know. She was
1: like a simple country girl, but like she wasn't like a peasant peasant, mm-hmm. you know, like she wasn't out here like working in the farm mm-hmm. or, you know, um, they just weren't like of the nobility until later in her life. Mm-hmm. And also her mom was still considered the Duchess of Bedford, which was like one of the other than the queen, like the highest ranking person in the land. Oh, okay, and so gosh. although they weren't, She didn't have any money, but, you know, I don't think that they were, like, going to be, like, destitute Mm -hmm. anytime soon. So, Elizabeth had two sons with John Gray. They were Thomas and Richard, and they enjoyed a quiet country life. For the most part, she was kept away from the turmoil that was the Wars of the Roses until January 1460, when, as we talked about with Jaquetta Jaquetta, her mother and father and brother, were captured by the Yorkist, Earl of Warwick, and the Duke of York's son, Edward, Earl of March. Luckily, they were released unharmed, but that probably would have caused a lot of stress mm-hmm. for Elizabeth. Things for her, though, would change drastically the following year. In March of 1461, Edward, who, the Earl of March, uh, became the Duke of York after his father's death, and he was officially crowned king. Again, we talked about this in the last episode, so I don't want to like go super into it, but the King Henry VI, he was basically overthrown by these York people, mm-hmm. and there was like lots of battles. And, and like, we don't going like going the on.
0: Duke of York. <laughs> <laughs> like, last time. But this, yeah, yeah,
1: last time we didn't like the Duke of York. Now we have new feelings about everybody. Okay. But so, Edward is now the Duke of York, and he's crowned king. Mm-hmm. Later that year, as the wars continued, because Queen Margaret of Anjou was never one to give up a fight, Elizabeth's husband, John, was killed fighting for Queen Margaret against Edward and his Yorkist forces. This left Elizabeth in a very precarious situation. Elizabeth was close to becoming destitute because her mother-in-law was trying to take the lands away from Mm -hmm. her that Elizabeth thought should be her and her son's inheritance when her husband died. So Elizabeth, though, did not give up and she turned to her family. She moved home to Grafton and turned to an agent of King Edward for help. Elizabeth going to this ally of King Edward shows that she and her family were accepting his authority, which many Lancastrian supporters refused to do. She was able to make an agreement with him on thirteenth of April, fourteen sixty one. While this probably felt like a victory to her at the time, it would quickly be made redundant because less than three weeks later, Elizabeth married King Edward on May first,
0: fourteen sixty one. Dang. So how you
1: (laughs) Yeah. How you asked, did Elizabeth go from being a commoner, nearly destitute widow who had just moved back in with her parents to Queen of England in less than three weeks? You ask? Teach me.
0: I need a guidebook. How do we become the Queen of England? <laughs> yes. How to do it. You know? Um
1: some would say that she captured her heart his heart with her beauty and charm. Others will say her refusal to sleep with him provided the well provided the well-known ladies man slash bachelor king with a challenge he just could not oh resist my gosh. and some others would say that witchcraft of was course. the reason which we will get into in another episode actually that i'm really excited about so the story is that they met by chance one day in the woods and edward tried to force elizabeth to sleep with him and even by putting a knife to her throat, but she refused, and he was so enthralled he married her. Realistically, the king probably visited Grafton on his travels, and David Baldwin, the author of the book that I got most of my Elizabeth info from, said that Jaquetta probably would have realized what the king's affection for her daughter could provide for her family. So definitely would have been like, oh, look, my beautiful single daughter.
0: Uh Newly single Um, hmm
1: the king and elizabeth were clandestinely married with possibly only Jacquetta as a witness oh wow their marriage angered many of the nobles and the king's council who had hoped edward would marry a foreign princess to create an alliance edward and elizabeth kept the marriage secret for five months until edward had to come clean and say that he would not marry any foreign bride because he was already married This move would create Elizabeth's first major enemy, Edward's cousin and strong ally, the Earl of Warwick, otherwise known as the Kingmaker.
0: Hmm.
1: Their marriage, controversial as it was, was probably for love, just as Elizabeth's parents had been. It was called the impulsive love match of an impetuous young man. While for the king, it may have been an impulsive and controversial act, Elizabeth had risen far above her station and exceeded all expectations. Also, awkward that she married the man who her mother, father, and brother were kidnapped by a few years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: No, super was, awkward. But her mom was the one who married, like, got, witnessed their marriage. Yeah, so I guess
1: she's yeah, moved so on. She's, yeah, she's like whatever. It mm-hmm. um, so Elizabeth had secured future wealth and station for her entire family. Her sisters. Marriage prospects were now greatly raised, and they were all married off to high-ranking noblemen within the next two years. There were seven of them, and the idea that some of the highest-ranking, most eligible bachelors of the time were now taken by girls who less than two years ago were commoners, did not sit well with many of the other members of the Nobility. Nobility. Her father was made an earl, her brother a lord, and she arranged for her son, Thomas, to be married to an heiress. Elizabeth played a key role in arranging all of these marriages that, of course, put her family first, but they often came at the expense of the Earl of Warwick. She took many of the marriage prospects he had wanted for his own family and also forged alliances with her family in Europe who Warwick opposed. So, Elizabeth and Edward's marriage was certainly one of love, but as the years went on, it also grew into a partnership of government as well. She played a great role in affecting the king's decision-making. People at the time, and some historians now, refer to Elizabeth's greed, and she often carries the blame for the fall out with Warwick and what happens next. In 1469, Warwick, and many other nobles, but mostly Warwick... <laughs> had had enough with what they saw as Elizabeth's greed and the king bending to her wishes, and he arranged a revolt in Yorkshire. The Woodvilles took much of the blame, and sadly for Elizabeth, her father and one of her brothers, John, were captured and executed. Probably even more terrifying for Elizabeth, Edward was captured by Warwick at the same time, and she saw how quickly everything could fall Mm -hmm. apart. Warwick found that he could not rule through Edward, though, like he had previously been able to do with Henry VI, and Edward was let go, but Warwick didn't receive any punishment. Um, And there's a whole long story as well that I'm not really going to get into, but Elizabeth also hated one of Edward's brothers, George, who had rebelled against the king with Warwick, and Edward always forgave him, and he forgave Warwick this time too, Hmm. but Elizabeth could not because she blamed them for the deaths of her father and brother. Mm. A visitor to court said that Elizabeth concluded that none of her offspring would reach the throne unless George, Edward's brother, the Duke of Clarence, was removed. And she...
0: Like, they think that he would kill his nephews? Well, he's,
1: you know, he's already now, like, revolted against Mm -hmm. the king once. so sad. Um, Yeah, so... This is what Elizabeth thinks. Edward does not think that. And so that's why Edward left them unpunished, but mm-hmm. um, Elizabeth did not agree. Elizabeth wanted him removed, and of this it said that she easily persuaded the king. So she was widely believed to be responsible for the king's brother's
0: execution. Oh, like removed, removed. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's like the thing, like, I his- can never wrap my head around and, like, all these medieval things is like these are actually like your family like it's not just like
1: yeah
0: it's like a pawn in a chess game you're like oh like I captured you I killed you like that's your brother that's your parents like you know that's Mm -hmm. your best friend with like the last episode they like kind of became enemies like Mm -hmm. I'm like how do you just like like death is like not just like a little thing (laughs) like it's so crazy yeah yeah
1: but I also feel like, I mean, obviously, from Elizabeth's perspective, like, they killed her brother and father. So she's like, well, why
0: don't we kill your brother as well? Yeah, I know. But um, oh, that's still also crazy. It's like her, yeah. her brother-in-law is killing her parent and brother. Like, that's really yeah. messed up. Yeah. Um, okay,
1: continuing on. Elizabeth and Edward had started having children by this time and in order to keep Warwick at peace he arranged for their oldest daughter also named elizabeth to marry warwick's nephew
0: hmm.
1: although they made this agreement Warwick was not done though and he raised another rebellion before fleeing to france and allying with the exiled queen margaret of anjou to put her husband back on the throne oh When they led their troops back to England, Edward was in the north and Elizabeth was pregnant and in London. Originally, she began to prepare for siege, but at eight months pregnant and with her husband away, she instead took her daughters and family into sanctuary in Westminster Abbey. Smart move. While in in sanctuary, though, she gave birth to a long-awaited son, who they named Edward. In this situation, Elizabeth, not having been a traditional queen, probably would have benefited her because she would have been used to living, Mm. you know, without all of her queenly, you know, servants and Mm. everything. One of the Earl of Warwick's rebellions was successful. Edward was away in the north and he and Margaret were able to put Henry VI back on the throne. And so, after spending nearly six months in sanctuary, Edward finally returned from exile. After raising an army, he first went to Westminster Abbey to comfort his wife and meet his newborn son. A few days later, on Easter Sunday, Edward and Warwick went to battle. In a surprising twist, Edward defeated Warwick, and the victory for Edward would have been a bittersweet, as Warwick was his cousin and longtime ally but for elizabeth the man who had threatened her life and position and killed her father and brother was now dead queen margaret's army was defeated a few days later and appeared that edward and elizabeth had no further enemies elizabeth's reputation also grew in favor because of her actions during the battle mm. staying in london while her husband fled and also giving birth to a son mm. showed her strength and parliament commended her womanly behavior and constancy. Hmm. On that note we are going to leave Elizabeth there and meet our other sister of the week. Okay. So, Margaret Beaufort.
0: My Your girl. girl.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Margaret Beaufort was born on the 1st of May 1443 to her mother Margaret Beauchamp Beauchamp the Duchess of Somerset and her father John Beaufort. The Duke of Somerset. I
0: feel like you know you're important when there's a date with your birthday and it's like pre-1600. Yeah.
1: yeah and you're a girl. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> her mother was an heiress and widow although she was only 23 at the time of Margaret's birth she already had six children and was on her second marriage.
0: And girl works fast. I'm 23.
1: No kids, no <laughs> marriage. Where is Rene your father I behind? Um, her father was a bit more complicated. He was of royal blood and cousin to the king. The only complication was that he was descended by John of Gaunt and his mistress, Catherine mm. Swinford. Although John and Catherine later married and had their children legitimized, The fact that they had been born out of adultery was something that would follow them through the generations. Wow, that is dramatic. Yeah. When they were made legitimate, it was added that they were legitimate accepting royal authority. So that they could never rule, basically. Mm -hmm. They could never inherit the throne. Mm -hmm. John was a very complicated man, but the important thing to know for this story is that he was very rich, and and unfortunately for Margaret, she would never know him. He left for war days after her birth, and after a crushing defeat, he died a few days before her first birthday, likely by suicide.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. That's so sad.
1: Yeah. Um, But so, him, Margaret being his only child, um, Margaret now became like a... One year old, like heiress. like yeah. Both her parents are super rich, yeah. And so, although already off to a rough start, Margaret was able to be raised by her mother along with her half siblings, and likely had a very happy childhood. She was raised also with her father's illegitimate jo- daughter named Tayen, which I think is just like nice that like the mom took in the father's illim- illegitimate child and then raised her along with her other mm-hmm. children.
0: Which yeah, that happened in cool. our Mary Shelley Claire Claremont episode, too. Um, oh, yeah. Their other sister who, like, we never talked about. Like, uh-huh. she was, like, neither of the parents' child. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we love a blended family.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, after her father's death, being his only legitimate child, she became a very rich heiress, like I, mm-hmm. like I said. The king, Henry VI, when she was just one year old, decided on a new guardianship, his friend and favorite, William de la Poole, the Earl of Suffolk, who we talked about in the last episode, and Suffolk would be her guardian, and she was set to marry his son, but it's unlikely that she ever actually left her mother. Margaret was well-educated in managing lands and estates and was skilled in embroidery. She loved music and, from an early age, could read in both French and English. And she complained later on in her life that she didn't learn Latin. Aww. Margaret spent most of her childhood at her mother's house called Belstow where her and her several sib- siblings lived in style. <laughs> they constantly had entertainers and Margaret developed a taste for the finer things in life. Her mother was also very religious and instilled a great respect and passion for the church in her daughter. In early 1450, when Margaret was five years old, she underwent a type of marriage ceremony to her also child. Oh my gosh. The father of the groom later that year fell out of favor with Parliament and was accused of treason and in that he was trying to marry his son to Margaret so that he could put a claim in the throne for his son.
0: But she, this can't, is like, she can't be yeah. an avenue to the throne, right?
1: Yeah, that's what it's said, but you know, who knows? People are always doing mm. crazy stuff. Um, so this is unlikely to be true, and he probably really was just after her fortune, mm-hmm. but we know the fate of Suffolk because of our last episode, and he was exiled and then executed by pirates.
0: Oof. Rough life.
1: Margaret- <laughs> yeah. Margaret, though, was still technically married to his son, and a few years later, Margaret was summoned to court by the king, and he wanted to dissolve that marriage and marry her to someone else. Now, we know that marriage had to be consented to, but the story of this is also relayed through Margaret herself when she was an adult, and she told, a fr- she told the story to a friend of hers.
0: Mm.
1: And the way Margaret relays the story, she gives herself a lot more autonomy than she likely would have had at nine yeah. years old. Um, but, you know, it's all part of, like,
0: building her legacy. I also feel like these girls have just been so brainwashed to think, like, you're a woman when you're 12, and, like, you're Mm -hmm. marriable when you're 7. So, like, in retrospect, you're not going to, like, think of yourself as, like, a victim of child marriage. Like, you're going to try to, like, you know, I don't know. I can see that as being, like, a defense mechanism when you're retelling the Mm -hmm. story. Because, like, otherwise everyone would just be, like, constantly dealing with this trauma and, like, lack of autonomy. Yeah, I'm not a psychologist, but that's my my thoughts.
1: Um, Okay, so anyways, the story as told by Margaret is that the king told her he wanted to have her married to his half brother Edmund Tudor, and Margaret says that she then asked asked for counsel from a trusted old gentlewoman, and the gentlewoman advised Margaret that she should pray about it and let Saint Nicholas guide her. At 4 a.m. one night while she was praying, an angel appeared to her and told her to marry Edmund Tudor, and so she consented. Hmm. Nicola Tallis, who wrote the book The Uncrowned Queen, which is a like biography of Margaret Beaufort, um, suggests that this story is an example of Margaret's ambition, and she told this story later in life to show that she was divinely inspired. Hmm. In the end, Margaret never actually acknowledged her previous marriage and referred to Edmund as her first husband.
0: Fair enough. Like
1: I think anything that happens before you're
0: 10 shouldn't really
1: count. Yeah. Margaret married Edmund Tudor when she was 12, and he was in his 20s. Likely because of Margaret's wealth, Edmund Tudor did not wait, as was commonly done, to consummate their marriage. Hmm. In September of 1455... He was, I think, like, 24 oh or something. He was in his 20s. Yeah. In September of 1455, Margaret left her mother's house and moved to Pembrokeshire in Wales with her husband. In the summer of 1456, Margaret turned 13 and also found out that she was pregnant oh with her first gosh. child. It's obviously known now and was also basically understood then that a girl of 12 or 13 is not physically mature enough to go through childbirth. Yeah, so dangerous. And, yeah, and Edmund Tudor was and is widely condemned for consummating and impregnating his wife so early. Pregnancy was scary and emotionally and physically challenging for Margaret, of course. And her husband, although the cause of her situation, was also her protector in Wales, a country that was new to her. He was often away and eventually was captured by Yorkist forces, while in captivity he caught the plague and died. This was when Margaret was six months pregnant. After her husband's death, Margaret moved to her brother-in-law Jasper Tudor's castle, which was nearby, for protection and to give birth. As you can imagine, giving birth at that age was a painful and traumatic experience. It is widely suspected that after all this, Margaret decided that she did not want to have any more children. Mm-hmm. The, I, this idea is supported by what Margaret decided to do next. Margaret gave birth to her son, Henry Tudor, on January 28, 1457. This so is, again, something that Margaret passed on later in her life. And so, just take it with a grain of salt. Like Moses... Henry was wonderfully born and brought into the world by the noble prince, the noble prince's mother, who was very small of stature, as she was never a tall woman. She was small because she was 12. (laughs) It seemed a miracle that at that age, and of so little a personage, anyone should have been born at all, Mm -hmm. let alone one so tall and so fine a build as her son. She wrote this about herself. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah well this is what she told one of her mm-hmm. friends about herself so i mean she definitely acknowledges that you know she was small and it was difficult yeah. but she still is giving it like this, this positive air of, like, spin it's a miracle yeah, yeah. And, like it was because he was so tall and gorgeous not because i was 12 mm-hmm. or 13 so margaret no matter how traumatic the experience of giving birth was adored her son her future actions would almost always be directly to better his future and keep him safe, even at her own expense. Soon after Henry's birth, Margaret set out to find a new husband to protect her and her son. Compared to her previous marriages and other marriages at the time, Margaret played a very active and important role in finding a new husband. It was two months after giving birth, that 13 year old margaret traveled 100 miles to the estate of the powerful duke of buckingham the duke's second son henry stafford became the object of margaret's ambition although he was 31 and margaret was still just 13. this would have been margaret's ideal match because he was from a powerful family who could offer her and her son protection and because rumor has it that henry stafford was known for his ill health which may have been the reason he wasn't already married. He was also considered rather old to be fathering his first child, and the idea of not having any more children would have been a big bonus to Margaret. Mm -hmm. Many historians speculate that at this time, Margaret had already decided on having no more children, so Stafford being his father's second son also had less pressure to produce an heir. Mm on the 3rd of January 1458 Margaret Margaret <laughs> Margaret married Henry Stafford she had to wait a year after Edmund Tudor's death before she could remarry she's
0: really just being like passed around marriage to marriage but like this one is like something that she chose for yeah.
1: herself like she went out there to like find mm-hmm. this man um, and you say but- like the ill health thing because like she thinks he'll die soon or what not that she thinks he'll die soon but that she thinks like he probably will one, not be able to have mm-hmm. children, maybe won't want to have children. I think that she was probably pretty traumatized by having, yeah. you know, her first marriage consummated at 12. Mm-hmm. That probably was not an enjoyable yeah. experience. And then also giving birth was not an enjoyable yeah. experience. So uh, this is kind of like a driving factor mm-hmm. for her. Unfortunately, though, being remarried, the care of Margaret's son, Henry, was granted to her brother, Jasper Tudor. Her Not her brother, her brother oh.
0: That's weird. Margaret
1: had a very, yeah, because he's, since he's, like, technically of the royal family, the king gets to decide Mm. who is Mm. his guardian, and he chose Jasper Tudor, who was the king's half-brother as well. Margaret had a very close and trusting relationship with Jasper, so she would know that Henry was in safe hands, but that wouldn't make her leaving her less-than-one-year-old son any easier.
0: That's sad. Margaret and
1: her new hubby took a great interest in her son, although they did not see him in person very often. Stafford was very fond of his stepson and often sent him gifts. Margaret and Stafford were married for 14 years, and they were very happy mm. together. If not romantic, they were good companions. Although Margaret by blood was a Lancastrian and her husband was a Lancastrian supporter, While all of the ups and downs of the first half of the Wars of the Roses, they managed to stay fairly neutral. The new King Edward was eager to heal the wounds of the past, and his clemency reached Henry Stafford and Margaret as well. This meant that although they had been on the losing side, Margaret got to keep her lands. Her husband, who was grateful for his pardon, then switched sides to support York, even though this was Margaret's family's enemy.
0: And how did Margaret feel about that?
1: Um, It's like really hard to say because Margaret you know she also benefited because she got to like keep her lands and everything but the one thing that Margaret wanted most was to have her son return to her and the York King did not let this happen. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah that's true.
1: Edward's effort to show reconciliation towards Margaret and Stafford. This was like kind of great yeah. because Margaret was like a very high up person in the Lancastrian like royal mm-hmm. family, and it would have been like really expected that she's like this heiress, and it would have been easy for Edward to like just take her lands and be like, "Your whole family like was fighting against me. Here's your punishment." But he said that like I think uh, partly because he wanted to. Just get everybody to, like, mm-hmm. stop biting. So he was like, I will let you keep everything, but, like, you know, you really gotta, like, be on my side. Okay.
0: Um,
1: so Margaret, although fiercely loyal to her own family, was also a realist, and she saw that opposing the anointed and well-liked and now forgiving king was not in mm-hmm. her best interest. Edward did, however, do the one thing she was dreading the most. He took her son Henry's guardianship away from her trusted ally and friend Jasper and gave it to a loyal Yorkist, William Herbert. Mm -mm. Her son lost his lands, title, and his home, and he was now separated from the only family he had
0: ever Mm -mm. known. That's so messed up. Yeah.
1: Luckily, though, although Margaret was distressed, Herbert ended up being a good guardian and loved and looked after Henry. Although Margaret wasn't pleased about the situation, the eight, she was 18 at this time, The she continued on with her fairly happy marriage and country life. She wrote letters to her son often, and she traveled into London from her co- estate in the country to buy expensive clothes and jewels. One of the biggest m- misconceptions about Margaret, because of the traumatizing young marriage and her apparent aversion to having future children and avoidance of sexual relationships along with her reputation of being pious is that she was stiff in actuality she was a major fan of art performance singing dancing and fashion Mm -hmm. and she loved expensive clothes and jewels and she wanted her appearance to create an impression of splendor Aw, love that for her (laughs) Margaret was a very passionate about religion, though, and she and her mother, who had a close relationship, joined the confraternity of the Abbey of Croyland in 1465. It was a religious community that promoted solidarity through re- through religion and that practiced both, both di- devotional activities and acts of charity. Okay. So it's just like... A Club, <laughs> yeah, it's like a pious religious charity club, like a sorority, but religious. So, when Ward overthrew Edward and put Henry VI back on the throne, Margaret and her son were able to be reunited. He came and stayed with her husband, mm-hmm. her, with her and her husband, and they really bonded for the first time. This Lancastrian reign, though, was short lived, and when Edward was back on the throne, he saw Margaret's young son. Henry as a threat to his throne.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Margaret was now the most senior member of her family because all of the other members of her family had died in the battles. And Wow.
0: Because she's, she's in like her 20s. Yeah,
1: she's probably like 22-ish. That's crazy. Um, and her son was now the closest living Lancastrian heir to the throne, although his claim mm. was pretty weak. Henry and his uncle Jasper fled the country to Brittany, and Margaret wouldn't see her son again for the next 15 years. Hmm. They fled through Pembroke which and through Tenby, which is where I recently went. And that's, those are the pictures I'm going to post for like, the history on your doorstep thing. Oh, nice. Uh, Margaret's husband had been wounded in one of the battles fighting for Edward, and the same year her son had to flee, her husband died. In his will, he left Mm. some things to his now exiled stepson and some things to his brother, but everything else he left to his beloved wife, Margaret.
0: Dang, this is her fourth inheritance at this point. I know,
1: she's just (laughs) collecting. Um, Yeah. So, Margaret's son was gone from her, her third marriage was over, and her beloved husband dead due to the same conflict that had forced her son to leave. The tragedy was almost too much to bear. Keyword being almost. (laughs) <laughs> so now the story of margaret and elizabeth sister story. after henry stafford's death margaret looked to mary once again she found a match in thomas stanley he was from a powerful family that had lands in the north of england he served as steward of the king's household for king edward What probably would have been most attractive to Margaret about Stanley was that he had been in favor to both the Lancastrian king, Henry VI, and to Edward. Mm. Stanley and his younger brother often played both sides strategically so that whoever was in power, one of the brothers would be on the winning side and then be able to (laughs) vouch for the other brother.
0: Oh my gosh, that's smart. Marva, remember this when we ever go to war.
1: um margaret also being a pragmatic strategical thinker would have found this compelling on stanley's side margaret being a great heiress with now more property inherited from her dead husbands would have found this enough to tempt any man they were married in june of 1472 in 1475 edward turned his attentions to margaret's son henry he was still in exile in brittany and edward wanted the duke of brittany to turn him over to him as a sign of allegiance edward said that he wanted henry to be turned so to be returned so he could marry him to a noblewoman and maybe even one of his daughters but margaret did not believe this and she wrote to henry forbidding him to return mm. margaret knowing that the king was after her son now needed more than ever to be embedded in the house of york In the summer of 1476, Margaret became a lady-in-waiting to Elizabeth Woodville and to her daughters. Over the next few years, Margaret continued to grow in royal favor. She benefited Elizabeth and her husband because, as being one of the senior members of their enemy house, having her seen with them legitimized their rule. Margaret and Elizabeth's relationship must have been a trusting one, at least on Elizabeth's side, because in 1480, Margaret was there when Elizabeth gave birth to a daughter. And the next day, Margaret was given the particular honor of carrying the new baby during her christening. We don't know exactly how Margaret and Elizabeth felt about each other personally, but Elizabeth gave Margaret these honors, and Margaret did certainly care deeply for Elizabeth's children for the rest of her life. Elizabeth and Margaret would soon be more than just friends, as fate would have it. They would soon become co-conspirators and family members as well. Hmm. On the 9th of April, 1483, King Edward, Elizabeth's beloved husband, died. He had fallen ill and died quickly, and his brother Richard claimed that the king wanted him to act as regent till their young son was older. But there's no Mm. evidence of this, and Elizabeth did not trust him and wanted to have one of her own large family to be left in charge of her young son. Elizabeth had two sons, the one she had in Sanctuary, which was named Edward, and then she later had another one named Richard in 1473. Upon her husband's death, Elizabeth wrote to her brother Anthony to bring her son Edward to London from Wales. He was the Prince of Wales, so he'd gone to live there
0: Mm. as
1: quickly as possible. She was aware that her family was unpopular and told her brother to bring as many men as possible to protect her son. This backfired, though, and people thought she was trying to stage a coup. Oh, my God. In what would be possibly the biggest mistake of her life, Elizabeth agreed to reduce the number of men sent to protect him. On the young boy's trip to London, he was traveling with his uncle Anthony and his older half-brother from Elizabeth's first marriage when they were captured by his uncle Richard. Richard said that he was saving the young Edward from them, but even the young king did not believe this. When Elizabeth found out, she took her daughters and remaining sons and once again sought sanctuary in Westminster Abbey. Richard, once back in London, put the king, the boy king, in the Tower for his protection, mm. and sent men to Westminster Abbey to try and get Elizabeth's younger son from her.
0: Oh my gosh, Elizabeth, what happened to her? her first son did he he was
1: they... he's right now he's still like in prison in the north of england with elizabeth's brother oh, okay so men come to westminster to try and get her son elizabeth of course refused knowing that this was likely a trap but eventually gave in the men who came to take why him, because the men who came to take the young prince said that if she gave him over willingly they would protect him from harm but elizabeth is said to have replied as Far as ye think that I fear too much, be you well aware that you fear not as far too little. So, I mean, I what well, my understanding of the situation is that possibly even probably the men who were sent to take the younger brother probably did think that they were taking him to kind of put him in the tower with his other brother and to like mm. wait for his coronation or whatever and so they're like mm. woman like you're being crazy and she's like no mm-hmm. you guys think that I'm scared of nothing you guys don't aren't afraid enough
0: yeah I see
1: a few days after little Richard was taken to the tower big Richard had it declared that all of Edward's and Elizabeth's children were illegitimate on the basis that Edward had another clandestine marriage to a woman before Elizabeth oh no This meant that Richard, as Edward's only surviving brother, would have been his rightful heir. Mm. Richard had himself crowned Richard III, and one of England's biggest mysteries soon took place, the princes in the tower. After Richard's coronation, the boys started to be seen less and less until one day they were just gone. At the time, Uh. no one seemed to know what happened to them, and to this day, it remains a mystery. What the heck? So they die. He definitely killed them. I mean, somebody either took them away, killed them. Somebody did something with them. Yeah, they didn't just disappear. Mm -hmm. And although this is a mystery and fascinating as it may be, for Elizabeth, this was true tragedy. Her husband was dead. Her brother and son were captured and then eventually executed. And worst of all, her sons disappeared without a trace. So it said that the news of her son's death of her son's, you know, disappearance, drove her into such a passion as, for fear forthwith, she fell into a swoon and lay lifeless a good while before descending into hysteria. Mm. Which I think is to be expected. Yeah. Who wrote that about her? We will get to that in just a second okay so elizabeth was not without allies though there were many people discontented by richard's usurpation of the throne and concerned for the fate of the princes in the tower and for that of her daughters who remained in sanctuary one of these supporters was elizabeth's former lady-in-waiting the strategic thinker margaret beaufort margaret and elizabeth never once gave up a fight plotted together to create a solution that would suit both of them Margaret, the clear instigator of the plan, sent messengers to Westminster Abbey. Um, he, she sent her Dr. Lewis, who was also Elizabeth's doctor. And so it wouldn't have been a surprise like to see him going there and going between Margaret. So it didn't really raise suspicion. Mm. And he was the one who told her of the prince's fate. Mm. So rumors had already spread that the princes in the tower were dead. And if they wanted to fight Richard, they needed a new rival king. And Margaret had just the man in mind. She and and Elizabeth agreed that Margaret's son, Henry, would marry Elizabeth's daughter, also named Elizabeth. And they would unite the two warring houses of York and Lancaster in rural England. Hmm. The only problem was Henry was still exiled in Brittany. Margaret and the former queen had plotted before an attempt to free the young princes from the tower, but that had failed. And this time they planned to have Henry sail back to England to join in with other nobles in a revolt against the new king. But when Henry was set to sail, his ship hit bad weather and he was not able to make it to England. So this second plot failed as well. Although Elizabeth had now been known to have been plotting against the king at least twice, maybe three times, Richard realized that he needed to make peace with her in order to save his reign and reputation. Hmm. He and Elizabeth signed a deal that she would leave sanctuary where where she had been now for nine months and that he would look after her daughters and arrange good marriages for them.
0: Don't trust this guy. Yeah,
1: Margaret, however, was not lucky enough to go unpunished. Perhaps adopting the strategic strategy of her husband and his brother, Margaret and Lord Stanley remained on opposite sides of the struggle. So when Margaret's plan failed, her husband's loyalty spared her from execution. Mm. But now the seed had been planted in Margaret's mind. Not only was she desperate to have her son return to her, but now also to see him as king. Back in Brittany, she he was joined by Elizabeth's brothers and her last surviving son from her first marriage, along with other nobles that didn't like Richard. Margaret, under house arrest because of her failed plot, was creating new allies regularly. Richard was quickly becoming unpopular, and Margaret was there to offer the next king, her son, Henry. Henry sailed from France to Wales on August 1st, Uh, I didn't... uh, Um, Uh. (laughs) 1480-something. I put 148-Doc. So, 1480-something. Richard was the more experienced soldier, though, and he had three times as many men as Henry. They met at the battlefield of Bosworth, and despite being greatly outnumbered in less than two hours, the tides began to shift in Henry's favor. People on Richard's side urged him to flee the battlefield, but he refused, saying he would win or die trying. Oh, Margaret's brother-in-law, William Stanley's men, were the ones who finally cut Richard down. Richard was the last Plantagenet king of England, the dynasty that started with Matilda 300 years ago. Wow. And there was a new king and dynasty, the Tudors.
0: Wait, how come they're in a different...
1: Aren't they all related? How
0: come they're a different dynasty? Um,
1: because, uh, not Richard, because Henry's father, Edmund Tudor, was not from any, like, royalty. He was, uh, he was a Welsh, uh, Oh, because he was a
0: half-brother of someone.
1: Yeah, so he wasn't okay. actually related to the king on, mm. like, the royal side. He was related to the king through the king's mother, who wasn't,
0: like... I see. Uh, yeah, so it's a new, like,
1: new oh, name, okay. new dynasty. Mm-hmm. New look, new you. Um, um
0: I just realized as you're talking, I've written a paper about Elizabeth and Mark before. Really? <laughs> because I wrote a paper about Richard the Third and I just now like grabbed my complete works and was trying to uh-huh. quietly open the pages because I didn't want to embarrass myself and be like, Is this the same thing she's talking uh-huh. about? But I was like, Stanley, that sounds familiar. And then I was like, two women conspiring together, mm-hmm. two boys who like die like off stage uh-huh. like it's like a mystery yeah. and I saw it in Oxford like performed and I wrote uh-huh. a paper about it and I was just like okay I don't know why I'm acting like I don't know what's going on <laughs> like, what wow yeah <laughs> but okay I mean if my paper's interesting because I wrote it about like the women in the play mm-hmm. I can share some of it on our Instagram <laughs> or something. yeah but this was interesting to know the real history because also like the way Shakespeare portrays Richard III, well, he is a jerk and he sounds like a jerk in real life too. But it's a he's like the Mad King kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like interesting to hear the real history version and not the like pop history version.
1: Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare can be considered
0: pop history
1: at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're almost done. Sorry so, to interrupt. I no, just, like, no, that's funny
0: figured it out yeah, yeah that's so funny <laughs> it's like what you said yesterday I don't know how I can be so smart and dumb at the same time well really so dumb and stupid. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how can I be so dumb and stupid sorry that's an inside joke that doesn't make sense to anyone and this could have been a funny aside but now it's just awkward
1: no it's good awkward is funny
0: um yeah how can I be so smart and dumb at the same yeah. time <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, Henry did marry Elizabeth
1: of York in the end, and they created a new crest that was the red and white flower, symbolizing the union of the House of York and the House of Lancaster, because the House of Lancaster oh. was a red flower and the House of York was a white flower. So now the Tudor the like symbol is a red and white flower.
0: I never knew that's why that's their symbol.
1: Yeah. Their union ended generations of war. A union brought about by their mothers. A commoner who became queen of England and now mother to another queen. And a high-born child bride who orchestrated her son's me- meteoric rise to power from exile to king. And mm. who N- historian Nicola Tallis has dubbed the uncrowned queen of England. Mm. After Henry and Elizabeth took the crown, their relation- the relationship be- between the two mothers possibly soured. They were no longer tied together by plotting and intrigue and Margaret's star began to rise much higher than her former queen and even higher Mm. than her new queen. It was widely accepted that Margaret held the real authority at court and took on the role of the queen. She set all of the court precedents and guided her son,
0: the king, in his decision making. I feel like this happens a lot in the medieval queens episodes that like the son just like defers to his mother so much yeah well i think like
1: his their mothers are always like they're the ones who do everything in order to get their son even to be in the position of being able to be king and mm-hmm. so like i don't know yeah
0: yeah yeah definitely but i, I was just gonna say like in this situation like he didn't even really grow up with her so like Mm -hmm. I'm surprised they're so close but yeah I guess he does literally owe his position to her
1: yeah it may have been this seeing her seeing her former lady rise above herself a position that she had fought so hard for and even above her daughter that turned Elizabeth's loyalties she is suspected of playing a role in a rebellion that was meant to overthrow Henry and her and her own daughter and now her new grandson it was remarked that Elizabeth was so tainted with treason that it was almost dangerous to visit her or see her. And, and this
0: is Elizabeth Rivers or Elizabeth's daughter? This is
1: Elizabeth. This. Uh, this is our Elizabeth that we've been talking about. Elizabeth Woodville. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woodville.
1: Yeah. Um, the plot failed eventually and she was forced to retire to an abbey where she died in near poverty. Margaret went on to outlive her son and her daughter-in-law and presided over the coronation of her grandson, Henry VIII. She also saw Mm -hmm. her granddaughter and namesake go on to become the Queen of Scotland. In this marriage, Margaret insisted that her granddaughter and other girls in the country in general not be allowed to be married until they were at least 14 so they could not meet her same trauma.
0: Such a legacy. Oh my gosh, good girl.
1: Margaret's legacy would see her as a powerful divinely inspired pious woman which is probably how she would have wanted to be seen mm-hmm. but it leaves out her more human side that she loved fashion and cards and she was a genuine and she was genuine and kind despite whatever terms her and Elizabeth's relationship ended on Margaret showed that she genuinely cared about Elizabeth's children and would even intervene on their behalf when they faced trouble with her son the king. Hmm. History has not been kind to Elizabeth. She's remembered for her greed, her vengefulness, and we will talk about soon her in another up coming up, her witchcraft. El- Elizabeth was a family-oriented person, and everything she did, her greed and vengefulness were all for her family. And that is the story of Margaret, Beaufort and Elizabeth Woodville.
0: That was really fabulous, Marvel, well done. Yeah, I especially like the last bit about how they're remembered and versus like how they really were. If you like look at the details, mm-hmm. um, I am curious about the witchcraft thing because you kind of mentioned it and then mentioned it again. <laughs> but so they think that she like put a spell on him to make him fall in love with her. Um, she or she has a couple of
1: different accusations of witchcraft against her, and so does her mother. Um, one about, they both were accused of, like, you know, capturing the king's heart with witchcraft. And Richard also I accused know. her of witchcraft. Um, and we, in a few weeks, are going to have a special guest come on who is mm-hmm. going to talk all about royal witches. And she's going to talk about Margaret, not Margaret, okay. about Elizabeth and Jaquetta. So, I just... Okay, great. It's really complicated. Like, their lives are already so complicated. So, I just was like... <laughs> we can just leave that part out and then somebody else can talk about it
0: yeah um, just gotta be patient
1: yeah but one thing that was interesting to me was that uh elizabeth you know she's seen as being like like in so many things that i read about her they were like she's so gritty um mm. but it was actually that her court when she was queen like was a whole lot less, like, extravagant, extravagant than mm-hmm. her predecessor, Margaret of Anjou. And the, you know, they actually, like, refilled the royal coffers um, because they, like, you know, didn't spend so much and all this kind of stuff. And so it's kind of a weird uh, thing to be attached to her, I feel like. And uh, although, yeah. obviously you know she did take a lot away from a lot of people to give
0: to her own family Mm. but
1: who wouldn't (laughs) true
0: Um. yeah interesting yeah so much so many layers so much like betrayal and then like alliances and then betrayal (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, yeah but yeah I think this was a really interesting sisterhood I like that like it's not they're kind of like friends out of necessity Mm -hmm. only And I think that's okay. Like, in a world where, like, all the cards are stacked against you, even when you're, like, super wealthy and powerful, like, it's, you still, like, like, no one is really rooting for you. (laughs) So you have to, like, Mm -hmm. find people who are going to be willing to, like, ally themselves with you. Yeah. And and have a
1: relationship that's, like, some, like, give and take and be, like, you know, we're not actually in this because we're, like, best friends. But, like, you have something that I need. I have something that you need
0: and we don't hate each other so Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's a really interesting dynamic that I don't think we've really like seen before on the podcast or Mm -hmm. heard before yeah yeah this is kind of like what
1: we're always talking about like wanting to show like people as like you know they are like complete people people. Yeah. yeah and so like Elizabeth you know she's not as probably as evil as everybody in history made her out to be but then she's also not like an angel like they make her out to be and like the white queen and Margaret isn't you know either like they both have like their good sides
0: their bad sides like mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah I think like in tv and like books like the creators rely a lot on like extremes and like stereotypes and like people mm-hmm. fitting into boxes because like that's what we're used to seeing and it's like less mental work for the viewer to be, like, mm-hmm. oh, she's the religious type. She's going to be, like, like stiff and, like, this, 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 you know, like, mm-hmm. have all these, like, frameworks in mind already or, like, oh, she's, like, the witch, but, like, now we kind of like that because it's, like, yeah And so it's, like, oh, she's yeah. a cool one. We like her.
1: Uh-huh. And, like,
0: it's, like, it's not – I don't know. I think that's, like, it's easier for people to digest information when it's like that so, like, people end up creating it like that instead of just, mm-hmm. like – showing people like you said as complete people and like showing all of the like intricacies of their personality
1: anyways the white queen i love it it's a good show (laughs) you can watch it anyways (laughs)
0: um or you could watch richard the third a little bit will shakes shakes Uh, (laughs) Okay. um yeah (laughs) whatever (laughs) definitely learned a lot i might go have a clandestine marriage
1: okay you might have already had
0: one you don't even know true I'm sure I have several because I'm sure Mm -hmm. I've been like, marry me like a million times.
1: Mm -hmm. You're a big mist. I'm a polygamist.
0: (laughs) Poly, poly, poly (laughs) A Lots of (laughs) (laughs) marry. Because I'm so dramatic. I'm never like, oh, like I like this person. I'm like, I want to marry them. (laughs) Uh, Whatever. Matters of the heart. Highly recommend,
1: you know, looking into these books The Uncrowned Queen by Nicola Tallis or The Women of the Cousins War by Philippa Gregory, David Baldwin and Michael Jones
0: or Wikipedia, whatever (laughs) or our blog yeah, Yeah. the authoritative source on all (laughs) things history well all things history at least because we did make it up after all so we're the (laughs) authoritative yeah one, two, three this this is is sistery, sister-y. perfect, <laughs> kind of Bam. Fab. fabulous. Okay, and it's good Bye. Bye. I feel so like happy birthday is too long. It's always awkward. Yeah. Happy birthday needs to just be like two lines. I'll just do two lines. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even do the part with my name. I'll finish. Okay.